Amen. Well, it is good to be here this morning. Um, Most of you know that Pastor Paul is overseas. Him and Patty and the Martins, they were in Germany for a week, and then they've been in India this past week ministering and teaching and all of that stuff. So it's exhausting. I I don't know when they're flying back sometime this week. So be praying for them, safety, jet lag, all of that stuff. But I'm also really excited because Even though Pastor Paul comes back tired, he comes back really excited as well. So um, I'm I'm getting ready and kind of prepped as to, okay, what's Pastor Paul going to bring to us uh, when he gets home? So um, be praying for them as they make their travels. And, you know, I feel like I hit the jackpot getting to preach today on Daylight Savings. Um, It it was kind of awesome. Um, I know that it won't always be a blessing with young kids, but this morning it was kind of nice to have that extra hour with a a five-and-a-half-month-old and being pregnant and if that is still setting in. Yes, Trevor and I are expecting again. No, we did not expect this close. (laughs) So, um, yeah, anyways, thought I'd let my family know um, uh, before it's like eight months, and you're like, why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, So anyways, we got to pray, though, and let's get into the word and see what God has for us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We just thank you that you want to have a relationship with us that you have gone so many, yeah, you went the distance, you went to the cross. You conquered sin and death, you rose again just to have a relationship with us. Father, we thank you for that. And this morning, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our ears to hear what you want to say to us and that we wouldn't just be hearers, but that we would be doers of the word and that we would walk out of here knowing what we're supposed to do. So Father, we love you and we thank you in your precious name, amen. So I don't know if you've ever felt forgotten or forsaken or feel like you're doing all of the right things, but the people beside you who aren't doing the right things are getting the blessings and you're just getting like the dirt or you're spinning your wheels, you're stuck. You're like, I'm doing everything right, but why isn't it turning out for me? You know, I've shared this before, and just really briefly, one of the areas that I felt this significantly in my past was was in regards to relationships. I was really embarrassed that I was a single female in ministry for a long time, and and it just felt like every relationship that I would enter into just ended in brokenness, and I was like, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? Why does it seem, though, like I'm doing the right things, um, and yet I'm not seeing any of the fruit, and yet those who who aren't trying to honor God in their relationship are peachy keen. Like, I I didn't get it, and it felt like, God, what's going on here, you know? And maybe you haven't felt that in regards to relationships, but maybe your job and career, where you feel like you're bypassed um, for the promotion, or you didn't get the job that you were qualified for. Maybe it's in regards to sports. You put in way more time practicing and more effort, and yet you don't get as much playing time, or you didn't make the team because of politics. Um, Maybe it's in regards to grades. You know, you're trying your hardest to do... Um, to do well in school and yet other people are partying and not caring and they're getting just as good of grades as you. Um, it's really di- like discouraging. Maybe it's in regards to finances. You know, you're trusting God, you're tithing, you're, you're trying to be generous and it feels like you just can't get ahead. Or maybe it's in regards to the fact that you lost somebody and you just can't get past, why me, God? Why did this happen? You know, these are real and raw emotions that I think almost all of us have had at some point in our life where life doesn't make sense. And we wonder, God, what's going on? And if you haven't had those questions or thoughts, I would say, well, maybe it's because you don't even believe there's a God or something. But I love that scripture actually addresses real raw emotions. 
He de- like, God doesn't ask us to put on a mask and pretend like we're okay. He actually says, bring those raw emotions to me. Not only does scripture address it, but they welcome, the scripture welcomes real emotions. And then it also gives us insight as to what to do with them. When life just doesn't make sense. So this morning I wanna talk about trusting and obeying God when it's confusing, when life doesn't make sense. So if you wanna flip in your Bibles to Psalm 37, that's where we're gonna be this morning. Um, and Psalm 37, it was funny, when God started laying that on my heart, I, I didn't actually realize that it's a wisdom psalm and that's interesting because Pastor Paul is preaching through Proverbs, the main wisdom literature in, in scripture. And so hopefully it's complimentary today and not redundant or anything like that. Um, but Psalm 37 addresses this issue of when the righteous seem to be cursed and the wicked seem to flourish. You know, uh, what are we supposed to do in that situation? And I love that this wisdom is written as a song instead of just a proverb, a little teaching or a pithy saying that's helpful to remember, tells us what to do. But a psalm was actually a song that was meant to be sung by people who followed God. And the Psalms have tons of different themes, but the beauty about singing theology is that it changes our emotions. It changes us. So even this morning, sometimes we sing songs that declare who God is, and we worship him for that. This is who you are, your promise keeper, your way maker, you know, all of this stuff, light in the darkness, this is who you are. And even when I don't feel it or see it, you're still working. And a part of singing actually anchors us and helps us to believe even when we don't feel it. Other times we sing songs that are more prayer-like, and we're just saying, God, make this in me, do this in me, and it helps anchor us and focus us um, on who God is and who he says we are. I'm God's child, right? That's what we sung this, uh, this morning, this is who I am. I'm God's child. And so that's why we sing and that's why the Psalms are actually so significant because it addresses real raw emotions but it calls us to enter in and sing good theology because it changes us. And so this Psalm in particular, um, it, it's written for us to lift our perspective and, and for our perspective to be lifted to a, a, one that's from wisdom rather than the world. So rather than looking around, we're supposed to look up and that's what this psalm does for us. So Psalm 37, let's, let's jump in, let's look at what the issue is, what are we supposed to do? And so verse one and two, it says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. I don't know about you, but when I'm angry, thankfully most of you have not seen me like this, but I like start to shake and I like start to boil inside and I start to cry and I can stutter because I can't get my words out because I'm so angry and I like my eyes go red and I just get really angry sometimes and we've had to work on that, thank you Lord. Um, sometimes it still flares up though. So, um, but this is what this um, ver- or the verb literally means fret not. It means not to heat oneself with anger or excitement. Not to heat oneself. So it's saying, hey, don't fret about the evildoers. I don't know if you've had those situations where, where people are just driving you crazy and you start to boil inside and, and not only are you angry, but then it steals your sleep because you're just thinking about the situation and this person and it just makes you angry. The psalmist here. <coughs> Whoa, I got a little bit excited. 
The psalmist here says, don't waste your time thinking about the evildoers, the wrongdoers. Don't let them steal your sleep. Don't get angry about it, because why? Because there's no substance to them. They won't be here tomorrow. They're gonna be like the grass and the, and the herb that are dead now. There's no life in them, so why waste your time on them? Fret not yourself over the wicked, the evildoer, the wrongdoer. So that's how the psalm starts, but then compare those two verses to the next six. Listen to what the psalmist says. Rather, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Wrath. Fret not yourself. Tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So he starts off saying, don't fret. Don't worry. Don't waste your time on the thinking about the evildoers. But rather, what are we supposed to do? He says, trust. He says, do good. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness or be faithful. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to God, trust him. Be still and wait patiently for God. You know, it has this idea that we actually don't have to do much. <laughs> All we are required to do is trust. Stand still, be still and wait for God. Commit our way to him. We might not know the outcome, but we're saying, here we are, God. You know, the picture that comes to mind is Moses and the Israelites when they come out of Egypt and they're at the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming after them and the Israelites are like, Moses, we hate you. You brought us here to die. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and Moses is like, whoa, God, what am I supposed to do here? And then God tells them what to do and Moses turns around and he says, all you have to do is stand firm and wait. Watch and see the salvation of the Lord. And that's when God parted the Red Sea and made a way through. It seemed in the natural sense like this wasn't adding up. Why would we leave Egypt? Why would we go to a promised land? But God says, all you have to do is stand and wait. Watch what I'm gonna do. Because did you notice in the, these verses that I read the difference between the imperatives or the commands for us, which are all of these, and compare those to the verbs of what God says he's going to do. He says, I will act. I will make your righteousness shine. I will bring forth your justice like the noonday sun. I will give you the desires of your heart. We don't have to go around fretting and trying to gather all of these things that we want and, and get the life that we want. God says, if you stand and trust and wait me and obey me, I'm going to act. I've got your back. So in situations where we feel like we're being slandered or, or um, said, yeah, I guess backstabbed, forsaken. When we've done right, how are we going to respond in those situations? When somebody's taking advantage of us, are we gonna blow up? Are we gonna fret? Are we gonna get angry about it? Or are we gonna bring it to God and say, God, this doesn't make sense. I've done the right things. 
And will you continue to do the right things? Or will you respond with harsh words? Will you react in anger? It says it leads only to evil. And the evildoers are cut off. So, you know, maybe don't do that. Um, how are we going to react in those situations? God says, will you trust me? Will you stand? Will you believe? And one of the main reasons why it's imperative to trust him and to be still and to wait on him is in, the, in verse 9, that last part, it says, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And this, we don't understand the significance of the land a lot of the time, but this is actually a huge theme in, in this passage or in this um, psalm. This question about who will actually inherit the land, who's going to prosper in the land. And that's what um, this psalm talks about. Listen to some of these verses, for instance. So I just read verse 9, that the, those who wait will inherit. Verse 11 says that um, the meek shall inherit the land. Verse 18 says that the Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage or their inheritance will last or remain forever. In um, verse 21 and 22, it says the wicked bores but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but the curse shall be cut off by him. Verse 29, it says the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. And Again, in verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his ways. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. You know, it's mentioned like actually seven times because I, um, I didn't put it in there, verse three, but it says dwell in the land and befriend for, um, faithfulness. You know, it mentions the land seven times in the psalm. So maybe it's kind of significant. Maybe we need to understand what is this land about because we don't get it in our culture. We're, most of us are not Jewish and so we don't understand the significance. But really the land, there's a couple meanings behind it. So um, number one, it's the main sign of the promise that God made with his people to be their God and them be his chosen people. Um, so it goes back to the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, goes back to the covenant with the nation of Israel saying, you are my people and I am your God. And so he says, I'm gonna bring you into a land where you're gonna be my people, you're gonna live for me, you're gonna, you're gonna um, be set apart as my people. And so the land was this sign of this covenant. But here's the thing, inheriting the land was actually contingent on trusting God and obeying him. Remember, they come out of Egypt, and 12 spies go into the land to test it out, see what it's like, and 10 of them bring back a bad report. Why? Because they were scared, and they didn't trust God. And because they didn't trust God, then they didn't walk in obedience, and because they didn't walk in obedience, that whole generation wandered for 40 years in the desert until they all died, and then the next generation could go into the land. They missed out on God's promises on his blessing. Why? Because they didn't trust, they didn't obey. You know, even dwelling in the land, so after they went in, um, in the covenant, God laid out, he says, look, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, but here's the stipulations. You've got to obey me. Because if you don't obey me, there's going to be consequences, and one of those consequences is that you're going to be exiled or kicked out from the land. So even dwelling in the land was contingent what? On what? Again, on the trust and obedience of God. And we see in the prophets, most of the prophetic books have to do with God's mouthpieces coming to the people of Israel saying, repent, turn back to God, otherwise you will be kicked out of the land. And we see that that actually happened in 722 BC 
to the northern kingdom and 586 in the southern kingdom. They were exiled. It was one of the main signs of the promise of God. But not only was it a sign, but it was all, it all, the land also had this deep spiritual meaning of communion with him because in Jerusalem, that's where God's temple was, meaning that's where God's presence dwelt. And when they were taken out of the land, they felt a very, in a very real sense that they were torn apart from God's presence. They were not with God anymore. And so this very deep meaning that was even harder, I think, than being exiled was the, the fact that they're separated from God's presence. So it has this deep spiritual meaning. But, you know, as I was reading and researching, I also came across another idea or connotation to the land that, has to go, or that goes back to even creation. See, when God created the heavens and the earth and us, he created us to work the land, subdue it and rule it, and to have communion with God, to be with him. See, the land has a way greater significance than we realize a lot of the time, and the, the significance of that is communion with God. He created us to be with him. The Garden of Eden was perfect, and man walked with God, and it had this beautiful relationship, intimate relationship with God. You know, that's what the land represented to the nation of Israel in a spiritual sense as well as, as this promise that he is our God. We have a relationship with him. But what wrecks that is sin. Sin, once again, they didn't inherit the land. They got kicked out of the land because of sin, disobedience. You know, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of sin, because sin literally is an archery term, meaning that if you miss perfection, if you miss a perfect bullseye by this much or by miles, you have a mark of sin. And the stipulations for being in relationship with God was that we had to be perfect, but none of us are perfect. So how do we have communion with God? How do we have a relationship? That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth, he walked among us 100% God and 100% man, and he came so that we could have that relationship, that communion with God again, because he paid the penalty for our sin. He paid that price, which was death. Jesus went to the cross, that's what we celebrated with communion, but he didn't stay dead. He conquered sin, he conquered death once for all, so that we can have relationship with God. See, the land represents relationship. And so this psalm, when the psalmist is saying, trust God, wait, be still, all of these things, and you will inherit the land, he's saying, you will have relationship with God. You will be in communion and it will be great, but it won't always feel right, it won't always make sense, but you can be sure that God is going to work. But will you trust him? Will you obey him? That's what it, what it talks about. And so I love it. I love that the psalm doesn't just say, trust God, do this because I tell you to. But he actually gives more reasons even than communion, even though communion and relationship with God is the biggest one. Um, he lists a whole bunch of other reasons why we should actually trust God. And so why should we trust God? That's kind of what the rest of the psalm is about. And the psalmist paints a picture of what that looks like and how, um, yeah, why we should, and I guess I, this is important for all of us, but I would say it's a particularly important for young people here, 
And I consider myself a young person, but specifically like youth and young adults, this is really big for us. Because it's, it, I, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask God, why did you create us like this? See, the thing is about when we're young is that we actually can't, like our, the last part of our brains to develop and our brains aren't fully developed until we're 25. But the last part, so if you're under 25 or even if you're like 27, maybe you're a little bit stunted, right? Um, <laughs> I'm not pointing fingers, though. Um, <laughs> so uh, the last part of our brains to develop is our rational thought, our logical thought. See, when we're young, we live life in separated events. And we don't see how they actually all fit together and interact with each other and how one decision affects the rest of our lives. We think it's just a separate event. But no, all of life affects all of life all of our decisions. And so it's hard because one of the first parts of our brains to develop is emotions. So it's very easy when we're young to make decisions based on emotions. And so this is why you need people who are older than you. I know you think you know it all, you don't. You know, I look back to even five years ago, I was 27, okay, I was even past that. And I was a fool in a lot of ways. I need older people in my life. Not only do I need my parents or my pastors or um, other people who are wise in my life, I need this book. Amen. I need wisdom in here because you know what? I don't know it all and neither do you. And so this psalm paints a picture, a bigger picture, rather than separate events, paints a big picture of how our decisions affect our future. And it's really important for you young people, I'd say up until 30, maybe even 35, <laughs> maybe even all of us, <laughs> to take a step back and to see how our decisions are going to affect our future. Because we haven't lived all of the experiences. We don't have tons of experience when we're young. We need the experience of those who are older. And so I guess why we need that is because when we're young, it's really easy to look around and to fret or to see our friends and our peers or social media or whatever, um, you know, we see them stealing, we see them cheating, we see them lying to their parents, you know, they're dating people they shouldn't, they're going to parties, they're, they're experimenting with drugs, alcohol, you know, sex, pornography, they're experiencing, experimenting with all of this stuff and it's like, there seems to be no consequences, so why don't I just join them? Why am I trying to be a good Christian? This doesn't make sense and it's not fun. It actually sucks. I'm missing out. You know, it's really easy to think that way when we're young. But if I can encourage you again, take a step back. Look at the big picture. Because you can go that way, but I can guarantee you there will be consequences. And it won't lead to a fulfilling life. Or you can stay true to God, trust him, what he says in his word, and obey him. And God will bless you. It might not feel like it right now when you're in high school or young adults or college or whatever, but I can guarantee you, God will bless you. And even if you're a non-Christian here today, I'd, I'd challenge you, put into practice some of these principles. See if God doesn't show up. He'll bless you. These are principles he has laid out. So back to the question of why should we trust God? What, like, what are some of the outcomes? And I already mentioned before in verse 5 and 6 that he's going to act. He's got our back. You know, when you're being backstabbed or, um, yeah, I guess, 
just taken advantage of instead of responding in anger, if you walk in uprightness and obedience to God, he's got your back. He's going to bring justice. You know, even in hard, horrible situations where you've done everything right and your spouse leaves you. How are you going to react in that situation? Are you going to backstab? Are you going to talk down about that person? Are you going to respond in anger? Or are you going to trust God, obey him, maybe shut your mouth at times, and trust the outcomes to God that he's got your back? Your righteousness will shine. Your justice will come. You know, in, in situations when people take advantage, like all of these different situations, are we going to trust God or are we going to obey him? That's what these questions all come back to. Will we trust? Will we believe? Will we obey? You know, um, verse, verse 18 and 19, he says this. Let me find it here quick. Um, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. You know, Trevor and I have clung to this and... Um, we, we started a small concrete business, more so him. I'm kind of long for the ride because uh, I don't work concrete. Um, but, you know, at times it's really cringy <laughs> and it doesn't feel good. And we wonder, why did we start this? This is dumb. It feels like everything that could go wrong does go wrong. And it's just like, Lord, like what? But we, when we got into it, we said, we want to do business in an upright way. Now, are we still learning? Are we still growing? Have we messed up? Yes, God has to work in us and, and change our character in a lot of ways. But this is our desire, and we keep coming back to this fact that God says he won't let us be put to shame. And so we're going to keep obeying. We're going to keep trusting God. How about you? You know, um, when you decide not to drink or go to a party and your friends are making fun of you, it doesn't feel really good, but God says he won't let you be put to shame. If you decide not to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before marriage and, and you want to, God says he won't let you be put to shame if you trust him, if you obey him. You know, um, when other, like it seems like we're really bad at gossiping in our culture sometimes. And, and so, especially women, and when other women are putting down their husbands, are we going to join in with them? Or are we going to shut our mouths and actually honor our husbands among them? Even if things aren't great at home. <laughs> because God says he won't let us be put to shame. Now, I'm not saying that we can't share prayer requests. Life is hard sometimes. Sometimes we need to, you know. But there's a difference between asking for prayer and actually backstabbing and talking bad, you know. God will give you wisdom in that. But God says he won't let us be put to shame. But the question again is, do we trust him? Do we believe that what he says in scripture is true and that he is going to act on our behalf? So are we going to obey him? You know, another reason as to why we should trust him, it's, it talks a lot about the generous in here. And in verse 16, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wickedness, or abundance of many wicked. In verse um, 19, it says, they are not put to shame in evil days, or in evil times, and in the days of famine, they have abundance. Or maybe the days of recession, they have abundance because they trust God. You know, verse 21 says, the wicked borrows but does not give back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Verse 25 and 26, I have been young and now I am old. This is why young people, we need to listen because we're not old yet. Um, I've been young and now I am old and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. 
or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. You know, it's like Abraham who was blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing even when we don't feel like we've been blessed. You know, Pastor Paul talked on finances a couple weeks ago. He says, we can't afford not to tithe. And it's kind of funny. So this is a little bit embarrassing, but you know, I'm still growing too, so um, I, I, you, like, I get paid EI, mat leave, um, every couple weeks, and usually once I get paid, I just go online, tithe, and whatever. So I got paid a week and a half ago, and I forgot to tithe. And then I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just wait a little bit on this one. Uh, we're waiting for some paychecks to come in. Like, it's pro- you know, maybe it's okay if I don't. And then I'm obviously, I'm prepping this this week, and God's like, really, Amy? <laughs> you're not going to tithe. And it's not like this legalistic thing, but I was like, you're right, Lord. Like, do I trust you? Am I going to obey you and just walk out in faith? And so I get online and I, I tithe and literally not even an hour later, we get a, like some money that we've been waiting for that could have come in months later. You know, and it's just like, why do I doubt? Right? And there's another huge example from this week as well, like where God is generous when we're generous. You know, and so our, it comes back to that question, do we trust him? Do we believe that he's going to provide for us when we're generous? Because finances is a really hard one, you know? But there was a lot of examples in here. You know, another reason as to why to trust him is um, in verse 23 and 24. I love this. It says that the steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. You know, I've been a part of this, um, this team of youth pastors across the country for the past number of years, and we would meet once a year and do some planning for conferences as well as, like, just encouragement for each other. Anyways, it was in Kelowna for, the fir- uh, for a number of years, and so we'd stay at this camp, and the first year, I was like, oh, it's a beautiful day, like, where can I go for a run? And there was this beautiful um, path along the lake. And so I went for a run, and I'm, like, loving it. And the funny thing is, is I'm pretty athletic, but I'm also really clumsy. And so I, like, don't even think there was a rock there, but I, like, rolled my ankle, and it wasn't, like, a little, woo. Um, No, I did a full tumble and roll, like, onto my back and, like, (laughs) sprawled out. And I get up thinking, man, I wish somebody could have witnessed that because that was really funny. Um, You know, I do that a lot. And so anyways, I I keep running and I come back and because it was really nice out, I was kind of sweaty and I hadn't seen myself. And because it was a dusty path, all of the dust, like I literally had mud on my legs, on my arms, on my face. And a couple guys, when they saw me come back, they're like, what happened to you? (laughs) I was like, oh, I fell, <laughs> like, whatever, but, so that's kind of dumb, but, like, a couple, the next year, I went for the same run, and that time, I also twisted my ankle, and really did some damage that time, and then the year after, I thought, okay, I'm good, I'm not running, I'll go on a hike with some friends, we go on this hike, and I'm telling them about this, how I've, like, fallen the previous two years, and as I'm, like, stepping up onto something, I, like, totally trip and gash my hand open, they're like, you've got to be kidding me, Amy. And I'm like, I know, right? (laughs) So anyways, I share this because it's a good picture of life sometimes. Even when we're trying to trust God and obey him, sometimes we still fall. Sometimes we still mess up. We still fail. But here's the clincher. Will we reach up? Will we grab God's hand? Will we fall on his grace rather than let our failures define us? And will we say, I'm going to keep going 
And I'm gonna, from now on, I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna obey. Even if I messed up back there, I'm not going to mess up going forward. I'm gonna keep going and do the right thing because I believe God will bless me, even if it doesn't feel good. But do we trust him? Do we believe? You know, the last two verses, I love it. It says that that the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in him. They trust him. Will you trust God? Will you obey him? And, and you know what? He says he's going to save us here, but he's also promised that he will save us when we face death, that he's going to welcome us into eternity, and that inheritance, that land that we've all been longing for from ages past, the heroes of faith, we're all longing for a land that would never end, an inheritance that would never end, that they'd never be kicked out of, and that there would be pure joy, no more sin, no more tears, no more death, and we would be in heaven with God forever. And that's what Jesus has promised for us. If you've never made a decision to trust God with your life, with your salvation, with your eternity, do it today. It's, it's, it's the best. Literally, it is. He has such good plans for you. So I've been telling us that yeah, we got to trust God and even some reasons as to why to trust God. But do you ever wonder, well, what does that look like? How, does it, how do I practically trust God? And that's kind of where I want to land today is, is some practical examples of how we can trust God today and in the future as we go forward. And it, like I've already said, trusting literally looks like obedience. You know, when life doesn't make sense, when, when it's hard... Are we still going to believe that what God has said in his word is good? And are we going to act it out in faith? Trust equals obedience. And so some ways that we can trust and obey. Number one, really simple, get into the word. If you're not in here every day, how do you know what God says to even obey it? And it doesn't have to be this massive thing. Start with 10 minutes a day. Or just start in the Gospels. Read a paragraph and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to, to show you who God is, who you are, and what you're supposed to do from that. How are, how are you supposed to obey based on what you have read today? You know, it's really simple, but start reading. And you know the funny thing about obedience is that we can't even obey it on our own strength. This is where we need to say, Holy Spirit, help me to even want to obey. Because a lot of the times, I don't want to. That's the thing about obedience. Why do we want to obey? That's lame. No, it's the best life. Because God longs for a relationship with us. And and we miss out on so many blessings and intimacy with the Father because we do things our own way. Rather than trusting him and obeying him. Get into the word. You know, I've already mentioned finances, and Pastor Paul mentioned it. Look up his, pa- uh, his podcast. Um, listen to that. Be challenged by that. It's good. Um, you know, but some of the hardest parts to trust and obey God has to do with our relationships with other people. And so how can we trust God and obey him tomorrow? Respecting those in authority. You know, our teachers, our coaches, our bosses, our parents. So for you students here, if you are still under your parents' roof, even if you're 20, 
How can you obey God? Obey your parents. Until you're actually paying for your own rent, your own food, your own insurance, your own car, everything like that, you're not independent. (laughs) And God laid it out in the Ten Commandments and then reiterated it in the New Testament. What's, and it's the one, like, the first commandment with a promise. If you obey your parents, you will have a long and good life. It starts there. Your parents are there not to ruin your fun when they say, no, you can't go to a particular movie, or no, you can't go to this person's house, or no, I don't want you hanging out with that person. It's because they actually have been given a responsibility to protect you and give you the very best life. And they have to answer to God for that and how they, how they um, stewarded your life. So what does obedience and trusting God look like tomorrow or tonight? Obeying your parents. Sometimes it's cringy. Sometimes you don't want to. But God says, I will bless you. I have great things for you if you trust me, if you obey me. You know, for for all of us, most of us work and we're employees. How are you honoring your boss? How are you respecting them? Are you praying for them? Are you encouraging them? Or are you talking bad about them behind their back? Or are you actually saying good things or just plain keeping your mouth shut if you have a bad boss. (laughs) Are we trusting God in our jobs, in our careers, in our families? That's one way that we can actually trust God and obey him. This is a big one for me. Um, So when I preach, God really deals with me, (laughs) and I see my fallenness in real ways. And um, recently I read a book, Love and Respect, most of you have heard of it, and it's by Les Parrott, and I usually don't like relationship books, because I find they kind of put you in a box, and every relationship is different and unique and beautiful and in their own way, and actually it's really easy to read a book and pick out all the things that Trevor should be doing, (laughs) instead of realizing all the things I should be doing, (laughs) you know? And so anyways, I decided to pick up this book, I've had it for probably 10 years, right? and it was profound, because it, it opened my eyes to things that I, why I do the things I do, how I feel, what I think, what I need, as well as what my husband thinks, feels, and needs. And one of the things, we know husbands are supposed to love their wives, um, because that's the language that women speak, but men naturally don't speak love. <laughs> you know, they're more about honor and protecting and dying for the people that they love. And that's how they show love in a sense, but we don't receive it that way. And so sometimes Trevor will respond or act in a way that feels unloving to me. And that's like cutting off my air, my life, you know. And on the flip side, what is the language that men speak? It's respect. And that's why in Ephesians 5.33, Paul says to women or wives, respect your husbands. And I, like, we don't like this in our culture. All of us women, we don't like this. We think it's old school. We think it's demeaning and, and it's subjective and all of that stuff. But I love that this love and respect isn't politically correct, but it's biblically correct. <laughs> and the reason is, is because if I respect my husband, he will react and respond in a way that's loving towards me. But if I act in a way that's disrespectful, he naturally will act and react in a way that's unloving. And we get into this horrible, vicious cycle where it's like marriage explodes in a sense. And so the way that we can trust and obey, if we are married today, 
The way that we can trust and obey God is by unconditionally loving our spouse and unconditionally respecting, well, our wife and unconditionally respecting our husbands. Now, I get sometimes there's abuse, and I'm not talking about situations like that. I'm talking about, like, reasonable human beings, you know, that are wanting to make a marriage work. And why is this important? Yes, if I do that, my husband's probably going to respond in the way that I want, but that's not even the main reason. It's because God has commanded me to. He's commanded me to respect my husband even when he doesn't, like, deserve it. And the hard part is, is like this week, man, God dealt with me. I said some horribly disrespectful things and demeaning things to my husband. I don't deserve his love after saying those things. But here's the thing, it comes back to this question, do we trust God? Do we trust God enough to obey him, even when my husband or my spouse, my wife, whatever, doesn't deserve it. And I'm, am I going to act in faith believing that God can work? We sang it today, you are the way maker, the miracle worker. Some marriages need miracles. And maybe it starts in us by obeying God and trusting him. So that's for a lot of us in the room, but those of you who are younger, aren't married if you're 15, hopefully. Um, so a couple things for you practically. Obviously, I said respect your parents, obey your parents, but can I just say, wait to date a Christian. <laughs> you know, I have watched so many, like since I've been in high school, throughout my 20s, and even now watching youth and young adults uh, consider dating partners, and, and it's like all of a sudden we don't trust God because we think every other Christian in the church is lame and it's like, well, there's no cool girl out there for me to date, so I'm just gonna date this girl who seems pretty sweet, you know? It's like we don't think that God actually has somebody for us. And so we go outside the church and I watch, I watch kids over and over again do this. And it's like, well, they're a really good person. Yeah, they might be. I'm not saying non-Christians are bad people. If you're a non-Christian in here today, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but what I'm saying, if a non-Christian and a Christian are dating, you have two distinctly different worldviews. And if you get married, how are you going to make decisions? How are you going to raise your kids? I've watched heartache after heartache because of this decision where we didn't trust God and we didn't walk in obedience. I get a little bit excited about this. I'm sorry because I've watched too many heartaches. And I want to save you from that. It's not worth it. You know, can you actually wait to date a Christian? Will you trust God in that situation? Because, you know, hard times will come. Every relationship has it. And it's really difficult if you both don't have God that you can cry out to together to ask for his help. It's really hard if you don't have the confidence that the Holy Spirit is working and speaking to your spouse. Can I encourage you, if you're young and if you're looking for somebody to date, wait. I waited 28 years. You're not gonna die because you're single, okay? <laughs> well, maybe you will, who knows? The last part that I really want to encourage, especially our young people, um, is to trust God and obey him in our sexuality. 
And I know I have a minute left, but let me just get to this because I think it's really important um, today. Um, our culture is so sexually driven. We don't even think that there's an option to not have sex with our person, like our partner, before getting married. We just think that's normal. Um, even sex ed, I don't even know if we talk about abstinence, the one way that we know that we won't get pregnant or an STI. Uh, we don't even mention that, it seems. But we don't trust God in our sexuality. And so I watch time and time again, multiple Christians have sex before marriage or living together, and it's like, well, why wouldn't you test drive a vehicle before buying it or committing your life to this person? Why wouldn't I see if sex is good? Because God has asked us to wait. Do you trust that he will actually bless you if you wait? Do we trust that he will actually give us a good sex life if we wait and don't test it out beforehand? He says he's got our backs. He will bless us. But it's really hard in the moment, but it's not impossible. If you're wrestling with that, you know, 1 Peter says, like, flee, or resist the enemy, or no, sorry, resist temptation and the enemy will flee from you. If we're feeling attacked over and over again, I don't think we're resisting very well. Can I just encourage us? And, and I'm saying like, hey, if you've had sex before marriage, you're not a lost cause. You know, like, we're not defined by our past. That's why we got to keep getting up. But from today on, what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to trust and obey what God has written? Or are we going to just keep doing our own thing, which will lead to heartache and, and no, no fruit? It's going to be hard. You know, another part in our sexuality, like, and, like if you read... 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about like, you know, those who are wicked will not inherit the earth and the, or inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on to list the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the homosexuals, the swindlers, the thieves, the, like all of these things, you know, and, and like all of us are guilty of those. And Paul continues on and he says, and that's what some of you were, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been set apart, so live for God. But if I can say, like, in regards to homosexuality, first off, to, our, to the older generation, I know I'm a little bit on a soapbox right now, but it's just been grieving my heart a little bit. In regards to the older generation, we really need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us truth and grace. We need to speak truth. But I've heard too many times older people in the church talking about transgenderism, all of this different stuff, gays, and it actually turns young people who are wrestling with that off from God and from the church. And I've watched too many students, actually. You may not know this, but I've watched too many students struggle silently because they don't feel safe here to talk about what they struggle with. And so they go online, they go onto YouTube, they find somebody else that they can model their life after, then they find welcoming arms, open arms in the LGBTQ community. And once they graduate from church, or graduate from high school, they graduate from the church. And they leave. So as older generation, yes, we need to speak truth, but in a way that we can engage in a conversation as to maybe why would God say this in his word? Because God is for us. He has good things for us. And the reality is there's probably a handful of people here today who are wrestling with that and don't know why would God, why would God say this? Does he not want me to be happy? God longs for you to be happy, but he knows that only happiness will come in relationship with him.
and I've watched some people be set free from this after 30 years, after 10 years, and some that maybe never will experience the freedom that they want and desire, but they desire a relationship and intimacy with Jesus over intimacy with another person. And so if you're wrestling with that today, can I ask you, talk to me or talk to somebody here. Let's, let's talk about maybe why God might lay this out in his scriptures, but I'd also encourage you, will you trust God? Will you obey him? Is it a hard road? Yeah, but he says he will bless you. He will, he will do incredible things for your life. You know, some people were talking before the service. They're like, oh, I love when you preach. I'm like, I hope you still like that after I'm done. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, why don't we stand, though? Let's end the service. and Let's just come before the Father in prayer. And maybe today, maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus. And, and you're like, I really want to live my life for him. I want to encounter him. And I want to give my life to him. If that's you today, um, with every head bowed, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, I just encourage you to raise your hand. And I want to pray with you quickly. This is, it, it, awesome. Yeah, that's 